Hey, hey, folks, and welcome to Breaking It Down on the Breakdown 707 Podcast Network. This is, yet again, Miracle Sound behind me now, and what you're about to hear is an interview with Ty Burris about his upcoming game, Aether and Steamworks. This ended up being a lot less of me talking than the last episode, but don't worry, you'll get a lot more of that, because the episode I'm publishing later this week is going to be the review of Iron Sworn, and that's going to be just all me talking. I sat down and talked with Ty about a week ago, and we mostly talked about uh, Aether and Steamworks for about an hour. All the links to Aether and Steamworks and everything related to that will be in the show notes, as always. I went to look up how long the game had left on Kickstarter, and my Kickstarter is all in Japanese. I don't know why. What did I do? (laughs) I've only gone and fucked it. There we go. Why is it... Why... (laughs) It has 40 days to go on the campaign, so if you think it sounds cool based on our our talk we're gonna have, then you can go and back it if you want. Anyway, that's all for now, so without further ado, here's the show. I'm Ty Burris, and I go by the pronouns he and him. Uh, I am currently in the production of Aether and Steamworks 1.5 edition over on Kickstarter. It's live right now. We're actually at 53% funded, which is exciting. I still have um, a little more than half of my campaign to go, so I, I feel like we're on a good trajectory. Uh, and then other than that, I am a Dice Tyrant. Uh, that's a TTRPG live streaming community, Twitch TV forward slash Dice Tyrants. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well with hundreds of videos on there. I've actually played this game, the Aether and Steamworks, uh, the original version, and 1.5 on their live streams. Uh, I've been the GM for those for the last year and a half. So we have a whole bunch of content. Uh, our first one ever was called The Messengers. The second is called Silver Shield. And now we are working on The Dragons of Rulo and The Clockwork Zephyr. We've got two of those campaigns running at once. Um, those are all using my system. Those are all on YouTube, and each one of them is a standalone campaign that's linked to a greater story, but they can be watched in pretty much any order uh, at any time. That's a lot of campaigns. It's a lot of testing that has gone into the game, and of course, role-playing is one of my big passions, basically. I've, I've always been interested in telling stories and bringing people along into my own crazy imagination, and, and then of course bringing people together, making them feel better about themselves and about their decision-making, and you know. Uh, that's part of the, the the positive benefit of getting to do this stuff is seeing people directly impacted and made to feel better or to feel interesting or to feel cool or you know all those things that that some people struggle with at times shows a little bit of a personal psyche that comes from an individual who's like you know what this is me these are my ideas i'm putting myself out there and then getting that confirmation yeah for sure i think that's something this this hobby we've all gotten ourselves involved in is it's something it does so amazingly well just that it's got a very human element as compared to a lot of other things you do in your free time it really does it's all about community there is this amazing feeling i've gotten since i've really kind of come into the online community surrounding ttrpgs and that it's so much more welcoming and it's so much more like 
everybody's invested in what you're doing and in well-being of each other and they're trying to put out this positive uh influence in the environment and and, into you know everybody that's around there we're we're all trying to be heroes right the people that are attracted to ttrpgs other than those that want to have the power fantasy of being villains are still typically trying to save the world in some way one way or another right so that mentality starts to kind of bleed over into everything that you're doing in the communities and I've, i've i've been very aware of that and very fortunate to be part of it yeah, and I want to, to start off focusing a bit on uh, specifically Aether and Steamworks because it's it's your current your current big thing, and absolutely yeah. As as of recording this, it is uh, early August. Uh, so you said you have had about half the campaign left. I've got forty four days remaining from today. So September nineteenth is when it when it ends. Look at that, fifty three percent. Sweet. So Aether and Steamworks is a long life project for me i've been i've developed uh other ttrpgs in the past nothing that had any kind of commercial success i made a d10 uh dnd conversion at one point i made a fallout ttrpg in the gurp system a long time ago that um you know i think there were some copyright issues with so i never actually ended up publishing it um and uh, a few other things and of course i've been gming for nearly 30 years now um I'm a, a writer, I'm a computer programmer. I happen to have a, a lot of artistic integrity and ability. Um, all the art that you see in the 1.5 book, if you check out the Kickstarter, is all mine. So um, when it came to this book, again, it's a passion project. I'm just a poor boy living on the West Coast with my family and in the tiny spaces of every moment that I had available in free time, I was developing, working on this game for the past like three years. Uh, the original edition, well, it was a little bit of a mess because I was hoping to get editorial assistance. I was hoping to get uh, some art done for it that wasn't necessarily mine because I was still new to digital art at that point in time. Um, and my Kickstarter for the first edition didn't quite go off the ground, but you know, I did still finish it. I still put it on TT on uh, Drive Through RPG. I still have a, a good amount of like sales under my belt for it. And after a lot of testing, after an entire year of continual work on it, now I'm releasing a much more polished, much more balanced version of it that has a lot uh, prettier cover, basically. Every, everything in it is, uh, is a lot more um, updated and, and uh, my art skills for digital media have increased quite a bit. I used to be a, um, a portrait artist and moving into a more animated style and moving to a digital medium was a lot harder for me because I used graphite and charcoal and I did not use a digital tablet way back when I started. So Aether and Steamworks itself is a, it's a full game. It is a full TTRPG, all rule set, all details, equipment, entire races, entire factions, entire classes, all of that. I created everything for it. Um, I did base some ideas on it on some familiar tropes that exist in TTRPG, so it's not difficult to pick up and learn. It uses a, a simplified D20 system uh, with location-based damage for combat. Uh, it happens to have um, just the seven main statistics rather than having to have a whole sheet of skills and all that kind of stuff. They're all just tied into a simplified rolling system where if you have something that's related to your agility, you roll agile to accomplish it. Uh, every single number that is listed on those stats is your modifier. So if you have minus two agility, you're at minus two to the roll. If you have plus two, you're at plus two to the roll. Very simple. Uses D20 system. And um, 
the goal of it was to provide something that I wanted to play. I was experiencing a lot of fatigue when it came. I played a lot of D&D. I played a lot of White Wolf games, Exalted. I played a lot of Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, you know, a whole. I've played a series of other TTRPGs forever. Um, but what I noticed a common problem was is turns. Uh, and not in the sense that everybody needs their turn. Everybody should have a time in the spotlight, and that's for certain the thing. But combat in turns sucked to me uh, quite often, and it became very apparent while I was streaming. Um, I got involved into a series called uh, The Chronicles of Kine, which was a, uh, a 5th edition live stream campaign for about a year and a half. And what I would notice is... We'd have these great RP scenes, of course. We'd have some really interesting characters and things like that, but we had these cookie-cutter classes that everybody knows about, everybody's played a million times, and everybody has these metas on how to build them the right way and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but as soon as combat came up, it would drag on, and the stream would, would devolve into, okay, it's your turn, what do you do? I hit him. You roll d20, oh, you hit, or oh, you missed. All right, your turn is going to come up and end another 20 minutes. And that's pretty much all combat is in 5th edition. Uh, sometimes you use a spell and it's like you have an AoE, or maybe you hold this person, or maybe you heal an ally. Uh, maybe you get a bonus action attack if you're a monk, or uh, you have a couple of extra swings you can make as a, you know, somebody that gets an extra attack feat, right? So it still doesn't involve a lot of. Uh, creativity it doesn't bring people and keep their attention i was seeing people looking down at their phones checking their emails you know and you see that in in tabletop as well is some side banter sometimes happens or or people go off and grab a snack because it's not their turn they're going to go to the kitchen now they're going to do their thing they'll come back oh it's my turn now where is everybody is like you know what where am i doing who's near me now because they weren't paying attention because it wasn't important at that point in time there was nothing for them to do um, so Aether and Steamworks gets beyond that by providing reflexive actions. These are things that can happen at any time in the game, on your turn, on allies' turns, on enemies' turns. And reflexive actions can be a host of different things. Everybody has some basic ones they can do, like taking cover behind something or uh, you know, reaching out and trying to assist an ally nearby. Um, but then each one of the classes has their own unique skills. One of these is uh, the alchemist ability walls from anywhere. They can create an arcane sigil, plant their palm on something, and suddenly a wall will jut up that'll protect themselves, protect their allies, will stop an enemy from charging them, will put up some sort of obst obstruction, and they can do this once around. Um, of course, it uses power. You have uh, a certain amount of abilities you can use before you start either injuring yourself or being unable to cast spells anymore or use abilities anymore, of course. So it's a resource management game. Do I save that last point to help protect my ally, or do I throw a bolt of flame at somebody and use that ability and not be able to protect them, but maybe take this enemy out? You know. So having these reflexive actions means that each one of the characters, when they're playing, is going, okay, I have this action, I have this thing I can do, when can I use it? And they pay attention, they get involved, they get more wrapped up in what the other players are doing around the table and what's occurring with the enemies, oh no, this massive troll comes up and tries to smash my friend against the wall, I'm going to do X and assist them. I'm going to do Y and slow the troll down. I'm going to empower myself for the next action that I take, that kind of thing. Um, so those are 
are one of the aspects of the game that are unique to Aether and Steamworks. Uh, another one, of course, is that every single one of your races has their own special abilities and powers that kind of give them their own unique flavor. So even if you're playing the same uh, class, if you have a different race, if you decide to go along a different path with that class, everyone will feel different every time. Um, in the game, you have race levels, you have class levels. You can get to a maximum level of 13, uh, three race levels and 10 class levels. When you go up, you get to choose which one you want. And every time you go up a level, you have a choice of a certain amount of abilities you can pick from, but you only get one of them. Which has led to a lot of characters who play the game go, Oh no, I have four abilities I want! Which one is going to define my character best? Which one do I find the most useful based on the circumstances I've been dealing with? And then, I'm going to play this game again. And when I make my next character, I'm going to get that other ability because it looked really neat and I could imagine a hundred different scenarios in which I could use it. Um, so an example of race and uh, class variants right now in the Dragons of Rulo, I have two Aether Mages. They are your sorcerers or wizards or magic users. Um, I have one that is focusing on elemental powers. So, you know, uh, fire, earth, wind, lightning, water. They can do all these kinds of nifty little tricks with them. And I have one Aether Mage who is focusing on death and entropy magics. <laughs> the, the two different characters, one of them is an orc, one of them is an Ayn, which is like a human that happens to have accent, uh, ascended a little bit beyond regular mortal and become a little bit more powerful in some ways and far more weak uh, physically. And the two of them are vastly different. One of them dives headlong into combat, turns... Uh, boulders to sand when they're being flung at her by giants. Uh, one of them is draining the life out of the, its enemies and dissolving the muscles in, from the inside when he goes inside of their mind. There's some, like I said, variance with every single one of the classes, with every single one of the races, how you play. So the idea is uh, Aether and Seamworks is supposed to be played for a pretty decent amount of time campaign-wise. I'm thinking that if you want to go for a full solid campaign, it's maybe six months, um, maybe less, depending on how long you play. My average session right now is only three hours. So, you know, if somebody plays for four, five, six, it could take a little less time than that. Uh, and then you start over. You make a new campaign. You follow your own stories that you've created in this universe and see where that leads you when it comes to the overall narrative of the entire game. This is a very comfortable interview for me because I could just sort of sit here and well, <laughs> listen I can, I to can this. talk about my um, own game for hours. I just don't know where I should start. Oh no, I, no, I absolutely love it. But I had a, I want to poke in a little, uh, specific question with regard to classes and races, uh, specifically yeah. because it seems like a lot of what you're doing with this is um, kind of fixing things that don't work in sort of like D and D and like other things. It's like it's yeah. like this specific thing makes the game less fun, so I'm gonna make something that does it better and so. But uh, where I'm wondering is with specifically the stats or attributes with regard to classes and races, because mm -hmm. partially there's been a lot of the discourse about like races in um, tabletop games. Yes, and I'm not necessarily qualified to really go into that side of things, but on a more mechanical level. You can get you often get the thing in D and D where like okay I want to play a wizard, and to do that I yeah. need intelligence. Like if I don't have intelligence, I'm not going to have a fun time playing. And it's like yeah. that automatically sort of disqualifies some races 
It's like, I want to be an orc wizard because I, I got this interesting story idea. But the numbers on the page say I'm, I'm kneecapping myself by picking an orc wizard because I get like a minus one or two intelligence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The stat problems are not only tied to race. And now, I do understand the political aspects, the political sphere when it comes to the difficulty surrounding these race debates in, in games. There's nobody in Aether Seamworks who's truly an evil or good race. There, that is all dependent upon the actions that they take in, in my world. Um, so I, I do know what it has been like when there's a lot of stereotypes out there and you know that the, the conversation around that is complex and to address that even a, a small amount, I'm going to say that, um, Aether and Seamworks has no discrimination against, uh, gender, sexuality, nothing like that. I've even got notations inside of my book about that. Um, it does talk about some complicated issues surrounding race at the moment. I mean, it is a hot topic and that's something that we're all trying to fight to resolve, to recognize as uh, unnecessary that all of us are humans out here, whereas in my game, we're not all humans. There is still that statement of, are people different or wrong or right or whatever based on their race? It is an Aetherpunk game. A punk game is fighting against uh, <laughs> established mores that don't make sense and that oftentimes uh, cause problems to the people that are disenfranchised or below them there are in in aether and seamworks there are prime races those are what they're called the prime races because the empire has decided they are the ones in charge of everything there are servant races that are typically put in positions where they work for society they don't typically like make laws it's not it's not something like slavery or anything like that it's still jobs it's still but it's it's the empire deciding you guys aren't <laughs> worth putting in like goblins they don't allow them to become noble houses in general terms. As the game goes, however, uh, this can be overturned. We do have a, a Baji, a goblin noble, in the Clockwork Zephyr that I'm playing right now. Um, the stories that are supposed to be told are to look at the problems inherent in society, recognize the issues that surround them, and overcome them. That's part of the narrative for it. Now, in relation to your other question, when it comes to not handicapping yourself to take on these classes to make sure that uh, you can play whatever you want. Uh, stats are tied in not only to your race, but also to the class you choose. So if you choose an Aether Mage, you will get a big bonus to your intelligence, your brains, uh, or to your magical ability. Um, same thing for alchemists. They have bonuses based on the stats that they wish to, to use. Uh, on Battle Scarred, which are like your warriors, they have more strong, more tough, more agile that kind of thing. And um, the roll margins are not huge for when you start the game. So with a couple of minor exceptions. So most classes, most races will only start out with between like negative two and positive two or three uh, to your rolls, which seems like a lot, but it's not, it's not that much to start the game with. And as you increase in levels, you'll get the choice to choose which stats you wish to increase. Basically, one every single level, you get to say, okay, well, I just really want to focus on magical, 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 magical. If you do that, of course, you're handicapping yourself, but that's not a game mechanic issue. Um, because you want to be able to survive, you know, complicated circumstances. You want to be able to jump out of the way of... Uh, crossbow bolts being shot at you or gunshots and dive behind cover or avoided the sword of an opponent. Um, so you, you will choose how you want to develop your character and the higher level you get, the more developed they become. 
I want to ask about a bit about magic as well, because um, mm-hmm. um, specifically D and D, because that is, I mean, it's the it's the biggest game. It's going to come up always. It's the it's currently the king. It's the king, and I plan on toppling yeah. it. <laughs> that specifically uh, has been criticized a lot from what I've seen and what I've played of being like super crunchy and being a very useful tool, but not necessarily being very magical. So sort of how are you how are you tackling that in with your magical classes and the yeah the kind of magic system in your game? The magic system in my game is uh imaginative. If you're playing an Aether Mage at level 1, you'll gain a little bit of aspects of each of the different aspects of Aether. Aether is the magic. It's the it's the force if you will of my world where everything has some of this in it. And it's what powers all of the characters. Uh no matter what class you are, all these special abilities you're using are powered by Aether. Um, Aether mages are the most capable of manipulating it, changing it, and uh, altering the environment around them. And you know, so the aspects are elements, uh, life, and uh, mind, time and space, and then death and entropy or death and corrosion. Um, when you start at level one, as an example of how these skills will work, elements will allow you to control a certain amount of them, roughly a one foot cube. You can do whatever you wish with it within a certain range. It can do up to X amount of damage, and it can cause up to a certain amount of benefits uh, when it comes to trying to accomplish a a task, using it like a tool. Um, Changing the metal inside of the wiring, inside of the door frame, so that it kicks itself open, as an example. Or, you know, pulling stone from a a, a wall frame so you can get through a door that is made out of wood and stone, you know? Um, So spells are crafted by the player, at the time that they use them within certain constraints. Uh, the higher level that you go, the more you get to specialize as an Aether Mage. Do you want to have more levels in elements? Do you want to be able to control the elements even grander? And at each level increase, there's a specific ability that'll go along with that that you can now do as well. At level two, as an elementalist, you can do um, uh, changing an element. So you can change it from one thing to another within a certain size, within a certain amount of it. Um, but as, a, as I said, like, uh, the orc that turned a boulder that was flying at her into sand, that was alter elements coming into play as she is level two now. So an enemy throws something, you change its composition. If you succeed, you're good. Uh, one of the, the main caveats to this is that each ability you use uses one overload that increases your overload by one. You have a limit you can reach and it's kind of like Kind of like a tolerance. Say your character, or say in real life you are doing something illicit like drinking alcohol, <laughs> and uh, you get to a certain point and suddenly you're drunk. You know, you, you go to a certain point past that, you're suddenly poisoned and you're sick. This is kind of uh, the idea behind Overload. Your, your character will continue to, to draw in magic and only use part of it. If you're using elements, you're only using the elemental portion of Aether. So your body continues to build up and build up and build up until your own systems can no longer control that, and then you start taking physical damage. Uh, that, that is part of the magical process in this game as well. If you reach your limit, say you have a limit of five, and you use five abilities, that puts you at five limit. You now have the choice to injure yourself to continue to, doing, to, to do abilities to use magic, and uh, as you go over, there's a mechanic involved that says how much damage you take, and it continues to ramp up higher and higher and higher if you keep pushing yourself beyond your body's natural limit. Um, 
Aether mages themselves have an entire chaos table because the Aether is slippery and sometimes can cause problems. And if you critically fail when casting a spell, every single spell cast requires a roll. And as long as you don't get a one, most of them succeed unless you're attacking a target and they have to roll to resist against you. Um, if you roll a one, you now roll on a, a chaos magic table, which has over, like, I think it's 60 different things that could occur uh, that will sometimes be beneficial, sometimes be detrimental, sometimes be really kind of chaotic. Uh, the last game that we just played in, one of our Aether Mages accidentally messed up and transferred their mind into the body of the troll they were fighting. So then they had to kind of play out, oh, crud. Uh, <laughs> Aiden is now in the troll's body, and the troll's mind is now in Aiden's body. Which one do we kill? We can't fight them, either one of them now. So that's, those are some question, answers to the questions in general terms. How do the, the sort of stats come into it? Or the, I don't know if you call them stats or if they're um, attributes or something. They are they're stats. Well, I'm I had them as attributes to begin with, but I said stat increases. And I'm still in the middle of editing process for my book, so I think I'm just going to call them statistics or stats. How do they tie into magic in the sort of? Uh, do I use a different stat to roll depending on what I'm doing with a spell, or is there like a magic stat that I can increase and then roll? So in Aetherin Steamworks, if you can convince your GM why a certain stat you would use would be why you it would be necessary to use, you can use that stat to roll for it. So that's part of the mechanics is arguing with your GM. Sorry, GMs out there. There's a lot of skills in Aether and Steamworks that are directly tied to making your job harder. Um, but in general terms, there are seven stats. There is strong, agile, tough, brains, charming, uh, aware, and magical. Um, magical is just how in touch you are with Aether. If your character is trying to determine what type of magic is nearby, is trying to see the Eternals, which are kind of like um, elemental beings that exist just beneath the surface of the physical realm. Um, if they're trying to do something unique and interesting that's related to magic, they'll roll magical. If you're trying to resist certain types of magic, it depends on what's being done. If someone is uh, creating an ice lance and trying to shoot that at you, you could resist it with magical, or if you can convince the GM, you could also do it with tough. My character is super strong, and he has a very tough chest, and he's just going to take the hit and shrug it off. Or they could use agile and say, well, I'm very quick. He's launching ice at me. I'm going to jump to the side. Um, if they're doing something like a mind control effect, you could, instead of rolling magical, say, well, I am a very logical individual. As they start to try to manipulate me, I'm going to use my own will and use brains to overcome that. So each one of these roles is kind of tied to what they are, to an approach, basically, to how your character wants to approach a circumstance. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to be done just in the sort of, in the tense, almost, that you put the sort of stats in, whether they are, like, yeah. your attributes or whether they are adjectives, or I think, it's in one of the Fate editions, you got, like, it's your, it's your yeah, approach. Sure. So you do yeah. their approach. Yes, yeah, so yeah. like I, I do. I want to do this quickly, so I roll plus quick instead of like I'm rolling plus my dexterity. Exactly, and that ties into part of like how you describe your character. Like, because someone with high quick doesn't necessarily have to be like a nimble, lithe rogue. They can be like, like big and strong, but still be quick. Yeah, like they're they're just very, they have great hand eye coordination. They're they're very much in control of their body. You stare at them, and it seems like. Every single move they take is 
very precise. That's that's all agile. That's all being dexterous. That's you know, so you can you can definitely set up your character in the way that you want them to be. And that, that's another aspect of Aether and Steamworks that ties in is the character definition. So when you finish creating a character in my game, you will 100% know who they are, where they fit into the overarching uh, story that the game already kind of develops, the theme already kind of develops. You'll know how they might react to certain circumstances. You'll see where their place is in politics. Do they believe in the empire? Do they not? Are they rebellious? Are they standoffish? Do they believe in the orcs? Do they believe in the Skixen and the Chancers? Are they trying to help people? Are they trying to better themselves? Whatever it is. Um, most of my games are designed, well, most of this game is designed to be around um, heroic figures. I mean, if you're trying to make a Sith Lord, <laughs> uh, you can mechanically attempt it, but it's going to be a little bit harder just because I'm trying to tell stories about lifting up, providing hope, providing, you know, the forward direction and progress of a people into a state where things are better than we have it now. <laughs> where everybody is unified in one way or another. And, and there's a lot of problems that come in the way. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, when it comes to that, that character personal, personality, that persona that they're trying to create, one of the big aspects as well are these things I call quirks. So like I told you, Aether is a bit permeable. It's a bit slippery. It kind of messes some things up. It sometimes is chaotic. Uh, individuals who use a lot of it, in this case, NP or PCs, the heroes, are constantly using it, uh, all have quirks. There, there's a hundred of them in my game. You can roll a d100 if you want and pick something at random that way, or you can say, well, this really fits my character. And each one of those has both a pro and a con. You'll get them at, at character start. It'll help develop who you are. Um, one of the character, or one of the flaws that I have is uh, this quirk doesn't matter much. <laughs> And uh, it describes the character as the middlest of middle children. No matter what you do, it's really hard to get attention for doing it. Whether it's positive or negative, you have a hard time gaining that notice and that recognition for what you've done. You have to try twice as hard to be seen and heard, which could be problematic if you're trying to, to have some sort of diplomatic discussion. You could try you know, that kind of thing. But it could also be beneficial if, say, you decide to become a space pirate and you steal something from someone important and then they blame it on your coworker rather than you. So that's one example of them. Uh, another one that I have out there is, uh, let's see, I've got uh, Fortune Favors the Fool. Uh, that is uh, the pro on that one is that anytime that a character is making a poorly thought out decision and immediately jumping into it, they gain bonuses to their roles for that scene. Uh, and if they don't, the, the con is that they can't make well thought out decisions in general terms. They have a harder time with that. If they're trying to be methodical about something, they're a negative to their roles. So, yeah, I was going to ask how how mechanically tied in these were. If they were just sort of pointers and descriptors for like how to uh, like guide guide the role play and something you could like invoke or the GM could invoke, um, or they well, give you like actual bonuses just... and, and negatives to your stat checks and stuff. They, they legitimately are tied specifically to the game. Now, it is up to the GM for any of the rules in my games uh, to decide if they want to use them. If they're too complicated and too problematic, then, you know, you can move them or ignore them sometimes. I have a character who has, um, basically, he laughs at everything. He's got a, a, a very 
strange sense of humor. And on stream, that could get a little complicated if he's laughing at everything that's going on. Uh, and if he, you know, if he's trying to play a serious moment and his character has to laugh and he forgets, no big deal. But each one of them does impart stat benefits. Uh, some of them circumstantial. Some of them will give you bonuses when you're in a social scene. Some of them will give you benefits when you're in combat scenes. Some of them are just flat stat increases with detractors based on what occurs with you. There's one that is a uh, uh, bite-sized superpower. Uh, so you are a character that shrinks in size. So you are no longer your regular starting class or race height and weight. You, you have that. You become very tiny. Uh, you gain a, a, a bit of extra strength. You gain a little bit of extra agile but you lose the ability to carry as much as normal. You gain uh, problems in social scenes where nobody takes you seriously because you look like a toddler. Uh, you know, there's, there are very defined aspects to these that will impart some, some positive and negative aspects to your character. Um, but it's part of the driven role-playing uh, portion of Aether and Steamworks, where, again, you'll know who your character is, you'll know how they might react, you'll have some, some interesting quirks that'll help define you. And the last part of that is virtues. Um, every character in the game has one of uh, four virtues. Four virtues? Did I go with six? Anyway, you'll have virtues. Yeah, that's you'll the have point. some virtues. I, I think I might have I might have updated these to, to six, but uh, you have uh, wisdom, you have compassion, you have courage, uh, you have selflessness, you have all these kinds of virtues, and they are a argue with your GM mechanic. Um, if you are in a circumstance where you roll and you fail your roll, and you believe that you're you're doing something that is related to your virtue, you're being compassionate, trying to help someone who's in trouble, as an example, or you're being courageous, you're jumping into danger trying to save others, you will get a re-roll if you can convince your GM that you're actually being that virtue. Um, re-rolls are a big part of this game. It's a heroic game, so... Uh, you get something called aces, one of those every single episode, which is a session. And those can be used to re-roll any of your rolls. Your physical rolls with your d20, your damage rolls with your whatever dice you're using for the damage you're doing. Um, you can choose to use those as you will. So, And you can hold up to three of them. So if you don't use one for one episode, you can wait another one. You can save them up until you have a total of three. That gives another mechanic for the players to be likely to succeed and uh, can sometimes end up with hilarious results if you decide to re-roll and get a worse roll. But uh, in general terms, it means that you're, you're going to succeed more than you're going to fail. And that's the point of the game. Yeah, for sure. And I think the choosing the dice specifically, um, I'm kind of reserved, um, in the thought between going a d20, since you've made like d10 systems before, and mm -hmm. um, if there was any consideration to changing the sort of dice system from a d20 system, or if, yeah, where you sort of landed on that. That would work. I mean, honestly, uh, the attribute system, if you went to d10, instead of using your d20 and adding your modifier, that would just, the modifier would be related to how many points you had in strong or tough. You'd have one or two or three or four dice, that kind of thing. Um, I cap out everything at, at plus 10. Uh, not counting special effects that are put on you. You can go beyond that if you happen to have a magical effect on you, as an example. Um, but then, of course, having the reroll option means that if you have a D10 system, you'd just be rerolling your whole hand. Uh, if you decided to go with sixes, D6s, and you wanted to 
set up that system, it, it could work in those directions with just a couple of minor modifications. I went with D20 because with the popular uh, beast on the horizon, more people will be familiar with how it works. So it's not like it's a difficult learning curve. It's become something of an icon, the D20. Yeah, you, you, everybody knows a nat 20 exactly. now. Everybody knows, everybody sees a 1 and they go, oh no. And in my game, unlike, uh, unlike the other behemoths, uh, in my game, everything has critical failures. Everything has critical success options, including whatever skills you use, because there isn't like a skills table. So if you, if you are doing something and you critically fail, uh, I quite often give the option to the GM to decide how they're going to handle that. But my recommendation is that you provide your character the choice of two outcomes, either something really bad to themselves or something that affects those around them, usually their allies. Um, if you're critically succeeding, same thing. Something that benefits you, does extra damage, uh, maybe hits more than one target if you're doing like a trick shot with a, with a revolver or you know, something like that, or something that makes uh, an advantage for your party members. So say you're fighting said giant troll and you roll a critical attack against or critical success against them while you're attacking them with your claws or whatever. And you rush forward and it's, it's like, well, you happen to injure him in such a way that now he is in pain and he's bent down and he's open to attacks from anybody around him so they will gain benefits. They'll gain additional pluses to their attacks made against that target. Um, so same thing, like I said, critical successes, critical failures on everything. So maybe uh, this is an example from Dragon's Rulo that happened just the other day. One of our characters was trying to keep watch. Uh, Rulo is the orcish home planet. It is completely full of predators. Almost everything there is trying to kill you, including the plant life. Uh, it's a very, very harsh wilderness the orcs have had to grow up in. And um, they've kind of developed an entire society around the idea of brotherhood, fellowship, protection of each other. Because if they don't, they just all die. There's, you have to work together. Um, so they are cleaning up after a mess that they made. They killed a couple of uh, Duandong, which are basically the cows of orcs, <laughs> the or orcish versions of cows. Uh, they, they killed a few of these that had eaten madcap mushrooms and gone uh, aggressive and violent. And one of the players kind of succumbed to his eternal patron. He's a he's like gifted class. It's kind of like a warlock, only your patron is constantly there trying to gain power. And it's this power struggle between the character and their patron. With, with the end, if you make it all the way to level the maximum level, with the end result being that you have a showdown with your patron, and whichever you win, whichever one of you wins, gets to take over the powers that the character has and control the body. So it's an interesting aspect to my game as well. Um, anyway, so his patron kind of delved into him, and they ended up killing these things that they were supposed to be saving. And now they're out in a wild that's completely full of all these predators, with these scavengers, with individuals, or creatures looking for sustenance, water, uh, whatever they can consume. And one of the players is supposed to be keeping watch, but they critical fail their aware role for looking around. So they had to, to either decide to either cause a major problem with themselves or to, the, to everyone around them, and the character themselves was already a bit skittish, was already a bit injured, was like, nah, I don't think I can really take more on me, so I'm going to have to affect everybody. So she started making a ruckus. She started throwing a fit. She started having problems because there was sand getting everywhere, and she was hot and uncomfortable and nervous, nellying all over, causing everybody else's aware to drop. And then they were ambushed. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody saw it. 
So that's that's another example of uh, how how anything can critically fail or succeed. Uh, a critical success in the case of say uh, like someone trying to pick a lock on a door at one point, and they found that this was this was a model that they had practiced on effortlessly forever, and suddenly this particular brand of lock was now permanently easy for them to open no matter what tools they had on hand. So critical success, they get a, an award for it. That lock is no longer ever going to be a problem in the game with them. And now it's up to your GM to decide if they're going to be a jerk and never put that lock in the game again. <laughs> yeah, I, I quite like the sort of um, having the crit success available, but having some kind of leniency and uh, for the player and how they want to take it. Like you said, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, like my character can't take any more consequences so i'm gonna have a bad situation instead of like losing any more stuff yeah instead of dying i'm going to just become uncomfortable and everybody <laughs> around me is going to <laughs> yeah exactly it. I, yeah i think that sort of softens the blow a lot i think that's that's a really good way of doing it speaking of uh damage uh the system in my game is designed to feel very threatening to feel very um scary when it comes to combat uh, most enemies in the game will do a little bit more than your health and damage sometimes, but you have multiple ways to mitigate that. So one, of course, is armor. Everybody can wear armor. Um, then another is my wounds and uh, crippled effects um, mechanics. So you have your core hit points. Just think of that as like your HP that you find in D&D, as an example. Every one of your limbs also has health. Your arms have 25% of your core health. Your legs have 50% of it. Uh, and your head and your torso have 100% of it. And what that means is you can only take that amount of damage uh, before that l- wound can no, or that limb can no longer take anymore and it becomes wounded. Um, so if you have 10 health and your arm has 2.5, everything rounds up, so that would be 3, and your legs have 5. Uh, say you get shot by somebody with a revolver and you take 6 points of damage to your right arm, but you only have 3 health in it, so you only take 3 health out of your core. You only lose three hit points total uh, because your arm can't sustain more damage than that. You, you can lose both your arms technically and still survive. Uh, your legs, a little harder to deal with. But um, when you are at zero in that health section, you become wounded. And if you try to use that limb for anything, you are at minus four to any rolls requiring that limb. Uh, if you take additional damage there, it doesn't go to your core health, but you, that, wound, that, that wound turns into a crippled effect. You are now without that arm. You are now unable to use it at all. They smash the tendons, the ligaments, the bones, whatever, and it becomes harder to heal. Um, you can replace your body parts with augments and mechanical parts if you need to, which, you know, some people will probably have to do. Uh, if your character ends up in a state where they are at zero core health, they're technically dying, and they have five minutes to be stabilized or they just die um if you die you, there are mechanics on that as well on how to bring somebody back through magic through the use of technology i mean if you have serious injuries you could wake up in a medical facility somewhere because you know medicare is free for all in aether and Seamworks. <laughs> um and now you have half your head replaced by mechanical components because your brain damage was so severe they had to replace it all and now you have aether magic you have uh, aether tech inside your head it's you know, a mixture of steampunk and a mixture of magic, uh, keeping you stable again. I think that leads me on to um, a question I've been kind of sitting on: is uh, kind of why is Aether and Steamworks? Um, why what made you 
a puzzler kind of how long has it been a thing has it been something you've uh, you said um, 1.0 came out like um, a year ago but yeah is it something that has been like in the back of your mind for long before that and why uh, why Aetherpunk I think it is not something I am super familiar with or th- or that I've not really seen in much else Aetherpunk isn't huge out there but Steampunk didn't quite fit my idea so um, there is a game uh, called Steamworks of Magics of Magic Obscura that was released in the early 90s um, it was a yes. top-down game. I, I, I was, was going to pretty- ask. <laughs> oh, I, I was I was thinking yeah. that if it was inspired by that. It was inspired by that. So so I was a huge fan back in the '90s of the Fallout games. I followed Black Isle, and I followed you know everybody that had created these games before, and they came out with that one. And I was always fascinated with the idea of this whole arcane versus technology uh, concept. And I had already made the Fallout RPG. And was considering doing that for a while, but life took off, and you know, I never quite got to it. Um, so the the main story is is that after X amount of years, when I started writing again, um, I was doing some home campaigns for D and D. I was doing some home campaigns for uh, for some D ten systems, some Exalted, if you've ever played that. And I was looking for a new idea. Uh, I wanted to play a different campaign that we hadn't played in the area in a while. Uh, I looked into some Eberron. I considered playing a Redwall campaign with all the, you know, furry creatures. Um, and I went to my wife's work and was like talking to her. I'm like, what, what should I do? What, what are we going to play next? Everybody's kind of interested in whatever we're going to do next. I'm always a GM, never a player. Um, and she was wearing steampunk earrings. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, you know what? I think now's the time to make that inspired game i'm going to set up a campaign for it in D. well i started making the campaign for it in D, and i decided well you know what i'm going to add in some other races i'm going to add in some other things here and there and then i went you know what i don't want to play D. there are too many problems with it i need to fix those i want it to work in the way that i want and doing it requires too much of a system overhaul so why not write my own and let's add in all the aspects of things i like uh, the skixen were inspired by uh brian jacques redwall characters these heroic uh kind of individuals that are furry (laughs) um a lot of the themes that come into it are steampunk oriented which with the 1.0 edition i was kind of leaning towards that but then steampunk's kind of its own thing uh it's very neo-victorian it's uh, age of invention but most things are related to this kind of brown copper and gold everything and um it's a little bit more inclusive with only specific it's exclusive rather with its fan base. It's very much it needs to be these certain things to actually be called steampunk. And my game was not quite that. There were too many high fantasy uh, portions to it. I had your elves, your gnomes, your goblins, your orcs, your dwarves, all of these things in their own way. And I had this idea that was a little bit more than that as well. And the only thing that fit was the idea of Aetherpunk, which is kind of like you have these strange, unique inventions that are not the way that technology went for us in modern society, um, but are powered off of the idea that magic exists and we can put these things to good use. And maybe this light bulb glows in a strange way and you can like hold it, but it's still a light bulb, but it uses magic. Um, so Aetherpunk Aether was the, the closest fit. 
Uh, so you have these magical airships that can fly into space, whereas steampunk, steampunk usually kind of was a little more rooted in reality. This one's like, well, we can fantastically voyage out into the stars, and we've got seven different planets we can go explore that are kind of trapped inside of this bubble of energy that surrounds this self-contained uh, binary star system, uh, solar system that you're playing this game in. And what could that be? You know, th there's this whole idea of exploration of the new of uh the unique of the unexplored of the unexplained that i wanted to tie into my game as well magic is unique it's interesting it's not nobody's entirely sure where it comes from but there are some hints in my book and what i believe creates magic in the game and that's up to the gm to interpret and when they're writing their stories uh, of course at some point i'll probably write it down in paper and you'll be like sorry gms all your ideas are bad mine are the best so uh, <laughs> I am the author, I say so. <laughs> I am the author. I don't care that you wanted season 8 to go better. Uh, it is now the way that I have decided it's going to be because I'm producing this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yes, Aetherpunk is exploration, invention, uh, unique and odd and magical are the best ways to describe it. It's definitely like distinct because as you say steampunk comes it comes with certainly a color palette yeah but it absolutely has a color palette and i was tired in drawing in those colors <laughs> but yeah in the kind of even in steampunk in some things that kind of draw away from the norm there is a lot of established kind of baggage they may want to break free from but it, i think it certainly feels very yeah. like a distinct kind of world absolutely that's the that's the idea i wanted to touch on some ideas that some people might have so they can get some familiarity with it but still be surprised you know hmm. write something unique that people can look at and go that is that is exactly that game that's what that is and i like it or i don't you know well, if if it's not your cup of tea you don't have to drink it but if it is you know mail order that stuff hundreds of years in advance and binge on it forever i'm cool with that i didn't realize it went into space that's a quite interesting I think I think yeah. I still kind uh, of had like just steampunk in my head, and I was like, oh, "There's probably airships," but I don't think they go into space. But that's no, quite cool. They, they yeah. go. There's there are uh, uh, atmospheric generators on board ships. One of the aspects, like I said, of Aether is time and space. If you know anything about the way time and space works, gravity is part of that, and you can create self-contained gravity wells. You can capture the atmosphere. You can create using air magic to make sure you have enough breathable breathable oxygen. You can create fields that'll help protect you from things smashing into your ship. Um, so space was always going to be part of that as well. And and I've I've tied in some of my greater loves for other uh, for other literature for games and things like that into little little quirks here and there in the game. One aspect of space, <laughs> the void, is what they call it, uh, that is very very dangerous are these things called athalium. Um, for those that actually have like a a degree in Latin, they will know that Athalium is the fruiting body of a mold spore uh, <laughs> from slime molds. Uh, but what it is in my game is kind of a mixture of a slime mold, uh, hive mind, alien-esque creature that resembles the monsters in Dead Space, if you've ever played that. So out there in the void are these creatures that kind of live there but can't survive in very powerful atmospheres, and they take organic material and they try to consume it and bring it as part of the hive borg style if you will from star trek and um 
but fleshier and more scary and terrifying. And so, so anybody that travels the void might have a situation where they run into those. Uh, the Empire is very much aware of this, and they happen to to put out defenses in various places that they can, but the Void is big, so you have lots of room to expand on and, and to, to tell that kind of story if you want. As a GM, I have, for a very long time, always looked for inspiration in what I want to put into my stories for each one of my, my campaigns that I run, and I wanted to leave enough space for a GM to kind of run wild when they when they played. Each one of my worlds almost plays like a different genre to a degree. Um, and each one of those is outlined in the book in major locations, politics, details about the area, and uh, sto potential story hooks that can be written at, at will. Um, Avalon, which is the main world, it's the one that basically everybody coalesces into, is this semi-dystopian uh, nobility owns everything. Everybody else is kind of squashed beneath the weight of their own cities type of world where there are these stacked cities uh, on top of each other where the very lowest level of it are the dregs of society that are kind of forced into these positions and take care of the underworkings of the cities like sewer work and and the machines that keep the city going and keep the lights on and keep everything clean up above but down below it's this you know uh dog eat dog world of rogues and vagabonds and uh, some of the elves who have fallen out of graces of society because their monarchy didn't really care that much for people. Uh, elves in my campaign are immortal, uh, Tolkien style, where they live forever, they have long-reaching goals, they see things in terms of millennia and centuries rather than, you know, the day-to-day -day or the decade-to-decade, -decade, and people tend to become numbers in that game while they're trying to push towards whatever goal that they're trying to accomplish, which meant a lot of people ended up dying that probably didn't need to if they'd had a little more soft approach. And then the uh, the dwarves rose up against them. They used to be their, their law enforcement arm, their peacekeepers, their protectors. But the dwarves saw through some of the propaganda that the monarchy had and eventually started recognizing the problems that were inherent in the system and decided to rise up against them, which led into this whole great war, which caused a lot of atrocities on both sides, caused the near genocide of the halfling race. And... Uh, has, has just created this, this backdrop for a, a large variety of stories to be told. Um, there are good people <laughs> on both sides. Uh, there are bad people on both sides that are more selfish or believe via hubris that theirs is the right way, that they're, they're more wise and more thoughtful than anybody else out there and what they say goes. There are those that are just bad guys because they're selfish, narcissistic, or psych you know, sociopathic or psychopathic, of course. But um, So when it comes to creating for the game, it's real easy to say, I want to play uh, Space Pirates. I want to play uh, Dead Space-esque. We find an outpost in space. It's overrun by monsters. We have to try to survive and get out now because our ship is damaged. I want to play a Wild Western romp on Silver Shield, which we actually have a campaign of that on YouTube. Uh, Dice Tyrants, if you check that out. Uh, Silver Shield is the new, newish, I guess within the last couple hundred years, uh, home world for the dwarves. They, they moved there from Avalon during the Great War because, well, you can't live with your enemies and plan very well. <laughs> so they, they moved over to, to Silver Shield. They found a whole bunch of mithril beneath the soil there. Mithril in my game is anti-magic. Uh, it is uh, what is considered a, a dead metal and it consumes magic and it can protect you against it, which is one of the main reasons why the dwarves won. So, Silver Shield is like 
the Wild West. They have these huge continents that are open for the taking that people are kind of moving and migrating out into and starting to explore and trying to find more mithril, Gold Rush style. Um, and of course, my game setting is uh, kind of Western when it comes to levels of some technology. I mean, there's revolvers, there's flintlock, or there's not flintlocks, there's uh, repeater rifles, there's things like that in the game that are related to the way Aether works. Again, described in the book why it works that way, but um, so Silver Shield is kind of like the Wild West. Uh, Rulo, which is the game the Dragons of Rulo that we're playing right now is on, is the Orcish homeworld, and that is more a survival against nature, low-tech fantasy game where you're going to have, you know, clubs and spears and, and occasional metal and copper weaponry and having to deal with uh, dragons and dinosaurs and uh, giant snakes and, and plant life that's trying to eat you and that kind of thing. Um, so you've got your dystopian future in Avalon. You've got your Wild West on Silver Shield. You have your Man Against Wild on Rulo. Uh, Myosinus is the homeworld of the Skixen, and that's more survival horror. Uh, the planet was bombed by the Empire, and it caused a whole bunch of the halflings to die when that occurred, because that was their home planet. And uh, the, some of them mutated, well, a good portion of them mutated into what are called the Skixen. They're the, the mouse-like or the rodent-like creatures. They're not really specifically mouse-like. You could make them like gerbils or hamsters or whatever, some sort of <laughs> furry creature type things. But they were, they were the halflings, and they were devolved into this using magic that went awry. Um, the ones that are left, the halflings that remain that are still halflings, are now called the chancers because they were lucky, and they happen to have some sort of skills that lets them re-roll any roll they make anytime they want, uh, up to a limit of whatever their overload and their limit is, before they start having some severe negative effects. So their home world is more survival horror. It's filled with these mutated bugs with these with this vast swamp with these huge mushroom biomes, basically, uh, where living there is a constant fight against these creatures that are hunting you that are like nightmare fuel for a lot of people. And you see a giant spider come out of there that can not only mind control you and lead you into its cave and then tell you that you want to climb into its mouth and be eaten. That's that's terrifying to some people. <laughs> um. And then there's the outpost worlds. There's uh, this place called Eris, which is the edge of the system. Think of it like Pluto. It's fully covered in ice. It's negative 300 degrees Celsius all the time. And you have to use magic just to get onto the surface. But the core of the world is warm. And there is something there that uh, people are trying to discover, trying to figure out what it's, what it's all about. Uh, the closest planet in the world, in, in, in the solar system, is Zither. It is completely covered in molten stone. The surface is burning up. Uh, it's, it's going to be consumed by the binary star system at some point in the next few hundred thousand years, probably. Um, but there are ancient civilization ruins beneath the soil that are melting and being like they're collapsing away. And it's a race against time for the scientific exploits down there to find out who that is, what, what they were doing there, why those ruins existed there before anybody had space travel. All of that kind of stuff. I wanted to switch tracks a little bit because you've you've mentioned it a few times. Um, I saw that at the beginning, but the dice tyrants. Uh, yeah. yeah, like I know a bit about it from what I've been what I've read and looked around before before we started recording today. But um, yeah, why don't you kind of talk about like what that is and where that came from? Now, dice tyrants used to be before I came along. Uh, was called Dice Mob. They were a TTRPG live streaming group. Um, they did. They hadn't got into podcasts yet, and they did Twitch streaming for for Dungeons and Dragons primarily. Um, when I joined them, they had just rebranded to Dice Tyrants, 
And it had originally been a adjoining for benefit, for mutual benefit. I had my game out. They had just been kind of starting up the new channel. And they thought, well, why don't you come on? You can play your game on our channel. We'll get some views. You can join into some of our games. We'll, you know, we'll just kind of mutually benefit each other that way, one, or another, one way or another. Um, and I started playing 5th edition with them through Chron Chronicles of Kind, which is on its third season now. Um, it has switched from 5th edition over to Zweihander, which has been a good okay. choice for us, I think. They, they're checking out that, that system by to, uh, Daniel Fox and, and crew. Um, so they are a variety channel uh, TTRPG streaming community. It's not just one game. It's a, a, a group of, of players. Uh, typically, um, they are voice actors or they are uh, actors in real life or ex-actors in the case of me. I, I, was a, I, I actually live in Oregon, and there's a thing here called the Ashland Shakespearean Festival that occurs. It's a big thing, and I was around that. <laughs> um, I did some some musical work i did a lot of in-play performance as well um so so we try to create a community of high production high quality voice actor content where our game streams are more like watching episodes of a television series rather than um rather than just a bunch of friends sitting at a table and playing a game which i mean we still have moments of that you still have levity you still have in jokes you still have silly off-topic moments but for the most part we play almost everything in character um, and we develop these stories that are designed to be more like a television series related to these games. So one example of that is in uh, the game that I was running, Silver Shield, last last uh, season. Holy cow! It's been it's been a while. It was like four months ago. Um, in that game, we had a character named uh, Caleb Wesley. He was an ex-DAD member. DAD in my game, in Aether and Steamworks, is the Division of Aether Defense. So they basically go out and they hunt down anybody who uses magic, and then they put them on a registrar so they can make sure that if they ever cause trouble, they can find them again and arrest them and that kind of thing. They, they don't trust, the dwarves don't trust magic after the monarchy, so they have to keep an eye on it. Anyways, he's an ex-agent of theirs, and he was an executor, so he hunted down threats, the, the worst of the worst, and killed them. <laughs> that was his job. And uh, eventually, he turned against his own. Uh, he turned against his own uh, superior officer because there was some events related to his own history, to his own past. He ended up having to kill his niece, which was it blew his mind, and he couldn't accept working for them anymore. So he killed his own commanding officer, went to a high security prison, escaped that, and ended up on this scene. So when it comes to acting in that, uh, Sinan, which is the actor that does it, amazing job. Very good guy. He's uh, an actual producer and uh, and uh, actor up in New York, and sometimes overseas. <laughs> He's been in a few different, like smaller movies, but movies nonetheless. Something that I find impressive. Um, he plays this character who is seeing visions of these ghosts of his past that follow him around, and he's dealing with this this entity that seems to want him to do bad things, that's constantly struggling with him, that he calls basically his nemesis, Adira. This, this horrible, horrible, uh, deathless uh, Aether Mage who used to just kill people for fun, who raised entire cities, did a lot of bad stuff. So he was actually somebody that he was proud of taking down. But this, this figure stayed in his mind constantly. 
And throughout the entire season, we explored what his connection was to these ghosts he was seeing, what what this individual that no matter how many times he looked in the mirror, he always saw Adira's face and not his own. Um, and he had this, this mental trip, this journey that he went on where he was trying to determine if he was crazy, if Adira lived inside of him, was trying to take over his body, what it was that was occurring. And uh, eventually it came out to be known that the character was suffering from um, disassociative identity disorder because of the guilt that he felt around the actions that he had held in the past. And that the only way that he could get rid of this Adira character was to recognize that it was the darker side of himself that was hateful at him that was hateful at the world for what he had been through, and then come to terms with that, allowing the two of them to come together and recognize that the other ghosts were hangers-on. They were Eternals that were using Caleb to, to accomplish their own goals. And he gets rid of those, he heals himself, and he goes on to save his entire party in some form from uh, a later events in the series, but at his own, at his own life. <laughs> so there's some very deep moments in our games. There's some very uh, mature concepts that we like to explore. In this case, this was a, a mixture of PTSD and stress and, and mental compounding issues and what it might take to come to terms with them, to, to find that inner peace that you needed. So again, that's just one example out of uh, all the games that we played where we just really focus on who, is, who are these characters? How do we develop them? How do we show their backstories in a way that makes sense and that people can follow along with? Where do they go in the future? And that's every single one of our episodes. Uh, right now, we have four games running weekly and one podcast. Uh, we've got Aether and Steamworks in the Dragons of Rulo on Mondays. We've got uh, Vampire the Masquerade Division E on Tuesdays. We've got another Aether and Steamworks on Thursdays. And then we have uh, Zweihander on Saturdays. And then we have Savage Worlds, uh, uh, which is another role-playing system mm -hmm. on a podcast that releases every Sunday. Okay, is, is it all and GM'd this... by the same person, or is it multiple people? No, <laughs> no, we have we have multiple GMs. Uh, the owner of Dice Tyrants, James, he runs uh, the Last Bastion, which is the um, which is the one that's on Saturdays, the one that's in Spyhander. Okay, uh, and. He either produces or acts in some of these, and then I'm kind of his right-hand man. I, I produce three of the shows. Um, I'm not acting in any at the moment other than doing the GM acting thing. So, I mean, that's a lot of hats to wear. But um, but our casts are varied. I think we have a total of 36 members right now, and most of them have screen time at one point or another or a part of our podcast or whatever. What we're hoping to do is develop a series channel where people can just go... I want to watch a TTRPG. Where can I find it? Well, Dice Tyrants has one on right now. We're going to go over there. We're going to go check theirs out because they have eight shows a week. <laughs> That's we're hoping to have something Monday through through Saturday or through Sunday. You know, at least one show a day, maybe two uh, in long term. That's what we're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. They are all very awesome people. Shout out to my Dice Tyrants peeps. They are so much fun. They are so talented. Um, I feel like we just need a little more exposure and people would recognize that whole aspect. I, I currently do the main source of artwork and production for every one of those shows. So the intro videos, all the art for the characters, all that kind of stuff, except for Last Bastion. We just have a, we have a new artist now who's trying to take some of that weight off my shoulders. Thank you very much, Meliora Henning, for that, by the way. Um, and she is uh, now producing the art for The Last Bastion and starting to do some more stuff for us. We're setting up a a comic series on our Patreon for uh, the World of Kine, the, the flagship show that we've been running forever. 
um, that explores what has occurred in the past, what is going to happen in the future. So it, it, people that go and, and subscribe to our Patreon are going to get access to those comics as they're released as well. Um, I think we're just going to do one more f- formal-ish question before I let you go, because we've, go- we've been going for a while, and I don't want to hold, hold you up too long. <laughs> um, it's okay. Yeah. This has been really fun. Though. It's been really interesting to hear about um, your game and everything. Well, yeah. thank you. But uh, in Aether and Steamworks, if you had to pick one mechanic that you are the the happiest with what's your what's your one favorite mechanic that you've come up with in that game one favorite mechanic really you're gonna hog yeah. me like that I, I, <laughs> <laughs> the, my favorite mechanic is kind of a i now tell me if this qualifies but i'd have to say the abilities in my game for players to choose from um every single one of the classes feels v- dramatically different Aether mages feel like these powerful sorcery types. Alchemists feel like these brainy types that can create potions and can do lore-related things and transfer or transmute one item into another, that kind of thing. Um, your gifted uh, feel like this struggle between a powerful entity that is giving you some of their power, sometimes without your, you know, permission, <laughs> um, and sometimes when you're taking it from them. You know that that's what that is. Nobles, they are these these. Uh, these types of individuals who can create a powerful house that backs them up, provides them with money, provides them with assistance where they need it, that you develop as you level up. At level one, you just have a house. At level two, you start to develop, okay, well, my house is known for having uh, Deguile Bucks on every single corner where you can go get your favorite coffees. And suddenly your house is now a little bit more merchanty. And as you go up the next level, you're like, oh yeah, by the way, we also happen to have served with the Empire military for a while, so now I can summon... Uh, war machines from space that come down and will become allies in, in combat and can help me fight these guys that are trying to take me out. Um, the Fate Broken are these classes that are kind of like magical monks who have this destiny that they are supposed to fulfill. By the time that they get to the end of the game, they will be accomplishing some great destiny or dying. And that's basically their choice. They either accomplish it or they burn out. Um, then there is the tinkers. They are the inventors. They create all kinds of different devices for people to use or just that are too complicated that only they can use. And they can create augmentations for each one of your character's equipment. And they can, you know, so, so the abilities in my game. Each one of your races has their own race levels that are tied into the theme of the race that increase in power. Humans become more attuned to magic because they're very susceptible to, to the Aether. Uh, elves become more and more crafty and beguiling dwarves become more stout and forceful and and uh leadership qualities start to to like raise up in them so i have to say abilities again just because i have seen countless times on my players faces directly in the questions and the statements that they give me when they've been playing both the beta the original edition edition all of that moments of just abject what do I choose? There are so many things I want. Can I have two this time? Is this the, is this, do I get to like repick one of these skills later, Ty? Is this a, a, tell me what I should pick because I can't choose between these two or these three. I get that all the time. And uh, it gives me a almost uh, ridiculous pleasure in that I did that to people and made them confused. And they like so many of these things that now they, they don't know what to do. And that I find pleasure in that. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you, you got to take the pleasures where you can as a GM, where you can 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've literally put some of my own personality direct into. The, I mean, obviously, all of it's my design, but I put some of my direct personality into the book where I've like made jabs at the GMs and stuff. It's like, well, your character can do this, and I'm sorry, GMs, but you're gonna have to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think that's a very good answer. I'm... Well, you can find me over at Twitch TV for slash Dice Tyrants Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and of course, check out all of our streams. They're amazing. Um, you can find me specifically at Lot Even Star on DVNR, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. I do some variety streaming. Uh, I play some video games on occasion, put them on there. I'm actually creating an entire series how to play Aether and Steamworks. I, I've noticed that that's kind of missing from the YouTube schema when it comes to these games. And I think it's that whole gatekeeping. People are afraid, oh, well, they're not going to buy my book now because they can go on there and see exactly how to play it. So might as well. And I'm like, you know what? No, people need that physical. They need to check the rules. It's not, you can't just go back and watch a video when you're in the middle of a, anyway. So I will be putting up um, details on every little aspect of my game on my YouTube channel. People can go watch that and be like, well, how do I make this work? And here's a video and where I explain it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, other than that, check out my game, of course, on Kickstarter. That is Aether and Steamworks 1.5 edition live. We're now 53% funded. We're getting closer. Uh, September, that's the end date, September 19th. And if you want to check out my original copy, Aether and Steamworks 1.0 is still on Drive RPG right now. And it's $5. So, you know, it's not like it's a lot. It's only PDF form because I did not know anything about uh, creating the correct book format and I didn't go CMYK and I was using PNG files. For those of you out there that are aspiring developers, make sure all of your imagery inside of any of your book are in JPEG file uh, or TIFF file. If you try to do PNGs, you'll end up with big black blocks instead of actual images when they go to print it on DriveThruRPG. So I have uh, the only copy, the one and only copy of a printed book of uh, Aether and Steamworks 1.0 at my house, and every single image is just a big black square. So that's great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's all for now. This is Miracle of Sound with the song called Deep Blue. As always, more content to come. Thank you very much for listening. You have been absolutely wonderful. Till next time, have a good one.